so the scripture reading today is from James 3, verses 1 through 12. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Lord, we come together today because you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. All of who you are is worth all of us. Amen. Doesn't the, doesn't the front half of the room look so much better? Who didn't even notice? Right, we painted yesterday, right? So if you notice, there's a gray front, there's the whatever you call that color in the back. And so somehow in the painting, this TV got messed up and it's not working. And as you know, I always looked at this way. So I'll try to read off the screen that doesn't exist today. And that's why that one was turned that way. But I had to be able to see it so we could see this morning. Well, in case we've never been introduced, my name is Daniel. I am one of the pastors here at Aletheia Church. And it's good to have everybody with us here on this uh, summer morning here in the great city of Gainesville, Florida. Today, I am going to begin with a familiar scenario that played itself out all across the homes in America when I was a small boy. When I was a small boy, across any neighborhood, whether it be inner city, whether it be the suburbs, whether it be in the northern part of the country, the southern part of the country, one scene played itself out in every single neighborhood. For surely there were two children out playing somewhere in their neighborhood. 
And at some point in time, one child began to call the other child names. And in retaliation, the second child began to call the other child names. Until at some point, one child had their feelings hurt in this back and forth. And that child ran home to his mother or his father, it did not matter, and said, Little Johnny called me a name and made fun of me. To which that parent responded, Will you go tell little Johnny this? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Today, not only in millions of homes, but in millions of news feeds, in millions of devices that we all carry around with us, the opposite is true. People seemingly are offended by every word that is spoken on the screen, whether it's to them or not. We find ourselves highly offended at the things people say. And people are taught, rather than to say sticks and stones may break my bones, what they're told is, well, no, absorb those feelings. Because those feelings are real and natural. And how you feel about those words trumps what those words may actually say. And no, that wasn't a presidential reference at all whatsoever. One generation said that words and the feelings associated with those words don't matter and you should just ignore them. Today's generation has been raised to absorb the meaning of those words. One generation said, don't let words have any power over you. Today's generation says, No, these words are powerful, and we need to recognize these words. This subject of words in Scripture is something that is spoken of exhaustively from the very beginning page to the very end page. Over and over and over again, the Bible addresses the subject of our words, of our speech. But before we get into the exhaustive nature of this topic in Scripture, there's just one verse I want to call your attention to this morning. And this verse is going to be the driving force for our message today. And I think it best summarizes and gives appropriate weight to the power of the words that you and I let escape from our mouths. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. If we're going to simply exposit this verse and draw out its meaning, it's pretty simple. You can destroy people, or you can build them up with your tongue. Those who love it, those who like to talk a lot, 
They're going to reap what they sow with their tongue. So for all of us, the words that we speak are either death or their life, and we will reap what we sow with our tongues. If you are going to get the most out of today's sermon and have it impact your life beyond the 45 minutes that you're going to sit here under the teaching of the Word today, let me encourage you to memorize this verse. If you want to take part of the totality and the whole of what all the Bible says about speech, it can be found in this one verse. And surely you can see how memorizing this verse, committing it to memory, and saying itself to you to yourself over and over and over might be of benefit to you and to those that you talk with on a regular basis to embrace and uphold that in your tongue is the power of life and death. And in the words that you speak, you will reap what you sow. If you run a simple search on the word speech, tongue, lips, mouth, in Scripture, you will see that the Bible is full of those words. We've been in the book of Proverbs and the Psalms over the summer, so I did a simple word search in the English Standard Version, which we preach and teach out of here at Aletheia. And I found that if you just looked up those four search terms over 100 times, those words appear in the book of Proverbs. Now, in case you didn't know, Proverbs has 915 verses. We probably should pay attention to the fact that Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, devoted... 10% of all he said in God's book of wisdom, given to us, 10% of all that he had to say is totally directed at the words that we speak. This must be a topic by which we find ourselves getting in trouble a lot. We must need a lot of correction and a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge in how to use our words. And in case you have forgotten, we we have defined wisdom, see I did it that way, we have defined wisdom as this, skill in living, the acquired skill of applying knowledge. And we have defined knowledge as correct understanding of the world and relation to God. So the first thing that we must do is get knowledge and then get that knowledge accordingly to how God has designed the world. And we are called to understand the world in that way as it relates to God. But then we have to make application of that knowledge to our daily lives. And wisdom is the skill of making appropriate application of that knowledge as we live and move and breathe in the world. And Solomon opens the book of Proverbs by saying, Son, I am writing this so that you may know wisdom, so that you may be able to live well. And so I'm just going to read for us this morning just a small handful of the verses that you can find in the book of Proverbs, which I pray would inspire you to search it out and to see what it has to say as you attempt to use your mouths for the honor and the glory of God in this life. 
See, if you look up the word mouth in the ESV, 44 times it's going to appear in the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs 10, 11, it says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. 10, 14, The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. If you search the word tongue, you would find it 19 times in Proverbs. And in 12.18, it says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 15.4, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. If you did a simple search for lips, you would find in 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. 17.28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed intelligent. 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Surely we've got some friends like that in this room. Maybe some of us are like that in this room. If you looked up the word speech, you would find it 12 times. And in Proverbs 16.23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. And 19.1 says, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. In case you are not familiar with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 church, Paul writing to a young person, maybe around your age, says, Timothy, I want you to remember this, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. See, in order to actually do good works in the world, we must equip ourselves with the Word of God. And the Word of God is so vast in its height and in its depth and its breadth and its width in this subject of our words and our speech and our lips and our tongue and our mouth that we don't just go to the New Testament, but we can go to the entirety of Scripture and see and draw from the wisdom so that we can live in a way that brings honor and glory to God every single day. And church, we need to remember and uphold that our words are serious business. There is no such thing in God's economy as a careless word. Every word that we speak carries weight, not only for our lives, but also for the lives of the listeners. That's why Solomon can state so strongly and so clearly that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so with that in mind, with this idea that life and death are in the power of tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit, we're going to look at two main points this morning. 
The first is that if, if this is true, what Solomon says, that life and death are in the power of tongue, then that means our tongues can be used to build people up or to tear people down. Our tongues can be a tree of life or they can be a deadly poison. Our tongues can bless others and bless God or they can curse others and curse God. And as you sit here this morning, what would you say your tongue is? If we put your words on a video screen for the rest of the congregation to see from the last week, would your words be found as life or would they be found as death? Would your words be blessings or cursings? Did you build people up this week or did you simply tear them down on a screen on the World Wide Web? You see, James, who is the brother of Jesus and one of the leaders of the early church, makes one of the strongest statements about the tongue in all of Scripture in the letter that we have from him. In James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What he's saying is the tongue has influence over everything. There is nothing that is not molded, shaped, guided, controlled, or directed that the tongue does not influence, that the tongue does not have direct control over. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Remember this, church. You have never spoken to a mere mortal. For every person you speak to is created in the image of God. Whether you disagree with their politics or not. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? 
Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So let me ask you again. Have you started any fires this week with your tongue? Have you poured any drops of poison into old wounds? Have any of you torn down someone who needed building up? These verses from the, the brother of Jesus should cause us to give great weight and consideration to the words coming out of our mouths. But if you're not quite there yet as to the seriousness and the gravity of, of every word that we speak in this life that comes out of your mouth and how these words have consequences, not, not only in the here and now, but consequences that will ring throughout all eternity. Let me turn our attention to the words of Jesus and some words that he spoke about how careful we should speak each and every word that we say. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, Jesus said something that some of you may have never paid attention to. And I will tell you from the day that I read these words and they caught my attention, they, 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 they have arrested my thoughts and continue to arrest my thoughts throughout this life. Jesus speaking to a bunch of church-going folk like ourselves who thought they were really good at, at, at keeping the rules said, hey, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers! How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus gives incredible weight to every single word that we use. And in case you didn't catch what that actually said, on that day when you stand before God in the great judgment, you will give an account for every single word that came out of your mouth. Now some of you are going, hey, I'm pretty safe because I do all my words typing on a keyboard on the internet. I think if Jesus were speaking today, he would have included typing on a keyboard and on the internet. Message boards, Facebook, Instagram, whatever forum you get on. But that's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Jesus apparently cares about every single word that we utter. Because we will give an account for every single word. Do you see why in some of those verses in Proverbs, Solomon said, hey, sometimes the best idea is just keeping your mouth shut? 
Have you ever heard the phrase, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason? So you'd listen twice as much as you talk? There's a lot of wisdom in just keeping your mouth shut and not saying anything at all. And some of us are better at that than others. And some of us really struggle with that. But no matter which side of the aisle you're on in that, the Bible speaks words by which you can guide the things that you say and guide when you are silent. And I, and I want you to know, and I want you to pay attention to something. This is something we need to pay attention to in our own lives and also in the lives of others. Our words that we speak reveal the nature of our hearts. Did you catch that when Jesus said that in, in these verses? If you look at the last half of 34 and verse 35, Jesus says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure, his good heart, brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure, his evil heart, brings forth evil. So, have you ever been prone to excuse the words that you say to someone? Well, I only said that to you because you said that to me. You ever done that? Anybody? Yeah. Well, Jesus said, hold on, hold on, buddy. You, you don't get to, don't, don't use that other person for your excuse. Because all you did was bring out of the treasure of your heart these words into existence. True, they, they probably shouldn't have said what they said to you, but all they did was most likely poke the bear that was living down on the inside. They poked a sore spot in you, a, a, a place that really gets you, but that just revealed who you are on the inside. Right? You ever get frustrated with somebody? Right? You ever lose your patience with somebody? Now, what's the fruit of the Spirit? One of them is patience, right? So someone who causes you to be late, someone who doesn't get an assignment in on time, and you lose your patience with them, your reaction to them, it reveals more about you than it does about them and their tardiness. And then when you unload on them, that's just you revealing What's in your heart? But let me give you hope in this. But also let me give you a warning in this, a hopeful warning, I would call it. Word change comes from heart change. I mean, if you, if you can sit here this morning, I, I hope at some point in, in time you, you at least had a, some kind of prick in your conscience that says, you know, I, I need to work on this part of my words. Here are some words that I wish I could take back this week. Here, here's some part of my speech I, I need to change in my life. And now the question is, how are you going to go after that change? Uh, there should be something in you that says that here is where I have a shortcoming with my words. I want to change because I want to bring honor and glory to God. And some of you, you may just be able to will up the discipline in certain areas and just stop the words. 
in my own life, when I became a believer right before I graduated college, before I became a believer, I had as good a mouth as any sailor who existed on planet Earth. And because I was raised in Alabama in the Bible Belt, and I was raised by the standard rules of pray the prayer, don't drink, cuss, smoke, chew, or go with girls who do, and, you know, I understood there were certain words you just never spoke. And so all these words that have four letters that I used all the time from day one just said, I'm just not going to cuss anymore. And I had no problem stopping cussing. I mean, like, it was no big deal. Like, it was just it was a switch. I can shut it on or off anytime I want to. Now, if that was all the Bible had to say about speech, all you got to do is not say any cuss words, you're good. Then, man, I, I, I'd be good because it, it, it's no problem for me. But you know what? And let me say, so that didn't require any heart change in a sense because I could, I could muster up the discipline in that one area to do that one thing. Now, because my heart had changed, I wanted to change my words. But from just a, a strategic, just purely simple discipline, don't say those words because I, I lead typically with my mind before my emotions. I can catch my words when they come out of that, my mouth in that scenario. But yet there is this other thing that I have been working on for 20 years that honestly, there are days I, I ask if I've made any progress in my life over the last 20 years at all. And that's when it comes to the Bible's instructions to edify other people and build them up. I am not a person who is a natural encourager. You know, Barnabas, like, man, that dude is the son of encouragement. He encourages others. Me and my personality, like, I notice all the details of everything. And when I notice the details, I notice all the bad ones. I notice all things that are wrong. I notice all things that are broken. And what needs to be done to fix them? So, like right now, I'm preaching, we painted, and see what I notice is, and it was us, you know, we didn't cut in that top line right there. And it's making me insane that we didn't get that done yesterday. Because I notice all the details, all the things that are wrong, and so I have a really hard time encouraging people. So I don't know if this is a personality thing, it's the way I was raised, I don't know. But I mean, but even for me, and like, and this is really weird, like I have to really practice being encouraging and, and if I encourage someone and pay them a compliment it like you need to know like before I say it it feels like you know it feels like a guy asking a girl out on the date you know in person like for the first time like your stomach's churning and it's like I'm saying something nice you know it's like like I'm not going to get rejected by saying like hey your hair looks good today or like man you know that was a really good shot you did or hey that was a really good word you said like nobody's going to feel like awkward when someone but yet for me it feels incredibly weird and strange and awkward and and God has to really churn and turn on my heart to bring out these words of encouragement in my life because I am not that way. So as you sit here and you examine your words and you take this message into the week and you try to, 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 to think about the words that you say and how you're going to change the words and not say some words or start speaking certain words, that there will be some that you can just naturally discipline because of your disposition as a person. But don't just stop there. Press into the deeper parts of that and ask God where heart change truly needs to happen. 
And that's where then, and you know, and this is the beauty of being in this relationship with God. You know, I was, um, I, I was with my, my children this week, and we do the New City Catechism every week. And I think we're on question 36 of 50. And uh, the, the question was, what is prayer? And it says prayer is pouring out our, our hearts to God in confession, in praise, in um, petition, and thanksgiving. And so this is just a prime example where we can take like that catechism question and just say, God, I just confess to you, I really struggle in this area with my words. Here's where I've sinned against you and against others with the words that I say. And I confess to you, God, that I am helpless to truly change my heart in this area. So God, I am asking you, I am petitioning you through the power of your Spirit. Empower me through your Spirit to be able to do this. And God, I thank you ahead of time because I know you are completely willing and able to continue to transform my heart, to make me more and more into the image of Jesus. Because you've told me in Romans 8, 29, your highest goal for me as a follower of Jesus is to conform me to the image of Christ. And so if you want to see true heart change, if you want to see your words truly change to where you don't have to catch it before it comes out of your mouth, confess and pray to God that He would change who you are. Our strategy here for making disciples at Aletheia Church is four E's. Engage, encourage, equip, and empower. If you are going to take from what I've said today and to actually have it mean something to you, we've already engaged in the text this morning, but you will need to continue to engage in the text. I have encouraged you according to God's word, how you might use better words and why you should use better words. I've encouraged you to equip yourselves with Proverbs 18.21 to commit it to memory and to look at the breadth of that. But in this instant, I cannot empower you to change. Only the Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, can truly empower this change in your life. So if you are going to be a disciple who truly makes disciples in this world beyond this in our everyday church spectrum that we are trying to reach, you must commit these four E's to your life to engage with God's Word, be encouraged by God's Word, to be equipped in its learning and memorizing of it, and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to be able to change. Remember, life is and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's the first main thing that I wanted to focus on today. About the tongue. So far, it's really kind of been focused on us, and who we are, and how we interact in the world. But we have to remember 
The, the, the gospel is not just for us, is it? The gospel is also for those who aren't here this morning. The gospel is also for the people who live in Gainesville or will be coming to live in Gainesville this coming semester. They need the gospel. They need the good news of Jesus. There are people all around us who desperately need this good news. And we, as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility under God because of the work that He has done in our life to proclaim the gospel. To not just do good works and, if necessary, use words. Just want to know if you've ever heard that. That's the dumbest thing ever. Scripturally, it's just dumb. Because Jesus says that He came to proclaim the kingdom, to proclaim the gospel. Jesus did good words, but if you notice, wherever Jesus went, he spoke words. You, let, just let me say, that, that, that is, in many ways, that's, one, that's the world trying to get you to shut up. And on the other hand, it's an excuse for our cowardice. Because the Bible says that we are to proclaim this gospel. Now, do we have to stand on the street corners with the signs, you're going to hell and megaphones? No. Because the Bible says, be wise in how you do this. But we still have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel. And so, let, let, just, I mean, just, just being honest with you, be honest with yourself. When's the last time you actually proclaimed the gospel to someone who didn't know Jesus? This, again, is a way in which we are told to use our words. We are told by Jesus to proclaim this gospel. That's why Paul tells Timothy, like a good soldier... Don't get involved in civilian affairs. Do what you've been called to do. Because trust me, these conversations are everywhere. I walked into one in the most awkward and surprising of places this week. I go into the sauna at Gainesville Health and Fitness. There is a young white girl about 20 years old and a young black man about 30 years old. And they're breaking the number one rule of the sauna. They're talking. Lots of talking. Just so you know, in case no one's ever told you, we go into the sauna to get away from the noise of the world, to be nice and quiet and peaceful. So if you break that rule, just so you know, everyone's shaming you in their heads. They are having this incredibly in-depth discussion about witchcraft. That she is a witch, and how she was in this deep, dark, depressing place, and all of these places, and through witchcraft, she has now found the light, and searching the light, and following the light. Now, this may seem weird and strange to you in some way, like, really, this exists in Gainesville? Don't be surprised. Now, what was surprising to me about it, because like by the tattoo she had, I'm like, yeah, I can kind of get where she's going in this whole thing. But I'll be honest, what really caught me off guard was the, was the, was the young black guy. And he's like agreeing with everything that she said. And because he was built like a football player. I mean, this dude could easily bench 400 pounds. All right? He didn't have no body fat. I mean, this dude was like a monster of a human being. And so he's like, yeah. Like, I've actually been in, in conversation with seven different witches this week. And they actually tried to make me a warlock. And, you know, I'm all into this numerology stuff. And I believe how it affects life. And, and so they go on in this conversation forever. And I am just like... 
is this like really, ha- like, I mean, like there is just this open and honest conversation about witchcraft that's happening. And, you know, because and, you know, maybe it was some cowardice on my part or not wanting to break the rules of the sun. Like, like I didn't want to say anything. I was just, I'm just listening to people. But it's a wake-up call to there is this need for people to hear the gospel because everything that they said was false. They have been led astray, believe they are following this light. But yet, if I just spoke into it hard, like, hey, listen, man, here's a reality. This is all just stupid, and you're going to burn in hell. Like, Right? Like, that would have been like the worst thing ever, okay? So, you know, so I'm going to look for times and opportunities, maybe, but Gainesville Health is really to, to maybe have some conversation in the sauna one day, because that would be really weird and awkward. But maybe it's there, I don't know. But all I can at this point is pray about it until a better opportunity presents itself. But, but you need to realize that, that, that as you build relationships with people, you have this responsibility and obligation to proclaim the gospel. Now, we proclaim the gospel to one another as believers, but we also proclaim the gospel to those who don't know. But as we use our words and our speech, you need to know that this gospel message that we call good news, that's what the word means, good news, it's highly offensive to those who aren't following Jesus. Whether you want it to be or not, you you just need to realize the gospel message is highly offensive to the world. And when the Bible uses the word world, it just means anybody who's not a follower of Jesus. And let me me just give you an example of, of why it is so offensive. And you may be offended at this as well, because in the vein of Christianity you were raised in, you, you know this is not how God views us and sees it. Just listen. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5, 6 through 11. He says, while we were still weak, so he's talking to the church, he's talking to us. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we like that part, right? And that's, that's the part we can easily preach to somebody. Listen, man. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is spectacular. He is wonderful. Jesus died for your sins. You have sinned against a holy God. Whoa, what do you mean sinned against a holy God? That makes me a sinner, right? And, and now they got a problem because nobody wants to be called a sinner. But all you did was, yeah. And for us, that's simple, right? Like we, we can, oh, yeah, I'm a, like we, we embrace. Dear Jesus, help me, I'm a sinner. To the world, they're highly offended that you would call them a sinner because that means they did something wrong. Now see, to us, it's good news. And it really is good news because in spite of your sin, Jesus comes, lives the life that you should have lived, died the death that you should have died. He'd rise on the third day, proves the power over sin, death, and hell. And now if you put your faith and trust in Him, you can be forever reconciled to Him. And so even on the surface, which seems simple and good news to us, they get bothered by, but you know, Paul even goes on and he says, listen, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Now, the world doesn't like to hear that God had any wrath directed at them, does He? Right? Um, You know, the whole whole phrase, God 
God, uh, God hates the sin but loves the sinner? You might want to go read the first 51 Psalms. 14 times it says God hates the sinner. And what that means and what you want to do with that takes a lot of probing and prying and getting into its depths. But we need to be very careful with the general platitudes that we use that are directly opposed to what Scripture actually says. Because the Bible says one day that God will pour out His wrath, His holy wrath upon all of this existence that has rebelled against Him. Now for us, that's good news because that means He's going to make all things right and set all things new. But to those who stand condemned, the gospel is highly offensive. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. What do you mean I'm an enemy of God? God loves me. Like, do you realize that the, the label that Scripture puts on people who are not Christians are that they are the enemies of God? And if you were honest with them in what the Bible says to them and about them in their current state, they will be highly offended. Because everyone wants to believe that God loves them. Because they're a little more cute and cuddly than the rest. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, to us, that's great news, right? That we have been reconciled to God. In spite of all of that sin, all that stuff that we've done, we have been reconciled to God. So we rejoice, we embrace it, we say this is the good, greatest, most wonderful news in all the world. But to people who have not been yet made alive in Christ, it's highly offensive. And you need to understand why it's offensive. Because every time we press into calling something a sin, a shortcoming, you need to know that someone is going to get offended. And in our world, have we not seen that we are all just waiting to get offended by something someone else says, right? I mean, we are just waiting for you to say one word so that we can get offended and have a disposable relationship and go and do something else. For example... One of the big examples in the world right now is design versus desire. See, Christians, we say, listen, God has designed the world in a certain way. And around the issue of sexuality, God has said, sex exists in my mind, I have created it. I have given it to the world as a wonderful, amazing, spectacular gift. And if you want to draw the most pleasure and to be most honoring to me in this, it will be done within the covenant confines of a heterosexual monogamous marriage. And the scripture says this is the design. Now, you either embrace that design or what you say is, but I have these desires. And this is not a heterosexual comment. This is not a homosexual comment. This is to anyone who says, outside of this design, my desires trump this design. And so we all have to face that. 
And we get offended by that message because what it says is, oh, you're saying my desires are wrong. Well, the Bible says your desires are wrong, and I'm trying to show you the error of your ways. That's highly offensive to people. To the non-religious or spiritual person who says, I'm a good person and thinks their, their good deeds alone can get them into heaven, the gospel message is offensive because it says, you're not that good, and no, you can't. You cannot get to heaven on your good deeds. Because if you could get to heaven on your good deeds, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die in your place. But that's why Jesus' sacrifice is absolutely necessary, is because you cannot get there on your own. To the person who thinks there are many paths that lead to God, and we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, because that's what he said, it says, well, now you're just being too exclusive. You're, being, you're excluding others when you say there's only one way. And so it's offensive to a world that wants to include everyone into everything except Christianity. To the religious person who is super committed to keeping all the rules, the gospel message says no one is righteous, no, not one. I don't care how many times you go to church, how many times you pray, how many good things you do for the world. Your religion will never save you. To the person who cheapens the grace of God and believes they can live however they want to because they have been forgiven, it says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Listen, if you're going to proclaim the gospel to someone who is a believer, when they find themselves in sin and you go confront them in their sin and say, hey, this is not how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to turn from your sin and turn toward God. Trust me. They're going to get just offended, if not more offended, than the person who doesn't know Jesus. And don't be surprised when they do that. As a pastor of 15 years, I have had many people walk out the door of my church just because we discussed the sin that was in their lives. Who are you to tell me what to do? I didn't tell you to do anything. I just showed you what Scripture said. They used me as their excuse. But what they were offended by was the Word of God. To the person who does not believe in God, the Scripture says in Hebrews 9, 27, And just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. They get offended, for no one will judge me, for that God does not exist. Yet to all men, Philippians 2, 9-11, Paul says this, 10 and 11, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every single human being will at one, at one point in their life confess that Jesus is Lord. Either willingly in this life they will bow their knee and make that confession, or in eternity he will put them to their knee and they will make that confession. And church, we have a responsibility to proclaim this gospel. I always say there's, there's God's part, their part, and my part. God is the one who changes the heart and turns the sinner to himself. The sinner is the one who confesses their sin and acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. But I have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to proclaim this gospel to a world who does not know Christ. 
Colossians 4, 5, and 6 instructs us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It wasn't wise for me in that moment to speak into that conversation that was happening about witchcraft. There are some conversations you should not speak into, but yet you should find yourself speaking into some conversations, to making the best use of the time and using your speech to have conversations about Jesus. And guys, you know that one of our values here is being the everyday church. We are so excited and so grateful that you choose to come here and and gather with us on Sunday mornings. But you need to know you don't just exist for Sunday morning. The height of your walk with Jesus cannot be 90 minutes on a Sunday morning singing, hearing God's word, taking communion, singing, and going home. We are the everyday church. We exist to proclaim this message. We, that's why we want to equip you and help empower you to take this message out into the world because the world so desperately needs it. And the Bible told us, has told us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are you, Christian, ashamed of the gospel? It is and will be offensive. Because, listen, you've got to get this. When you are talking to someone who is not yet a believer, you are not trying to make a bad person good. This has been... This has been perpetuated throughout the church. It's been perpetuated through the world. Well, it's just bad people we're trying to make good. No, 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 no. The Bible says it's not a category of good and bad. The categories are dead and alive. When you speak to someone who is not a follower of Jesus, the Bible says they are spiritually dead. Dead. There is no spiritual life in them. I don't care how spiritual they say they are or act. I don't care how many times they go to church or pray or do whatever. The Bible says they are dead. And the only hope is resurrection life. Jesus' resurrection life making it into their heart and bringing their heart alive. And that's why we can speak all the words we want, but until the Holy Spirit interjects Himself into their lives, nothing will happen in their hearts. Paul says this to us in Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing to the word of Christ. Do you see why 
preach the gospel unnecessary, use words, doesn't work. Because faith only comes through hearing the word of Christ. So church, I hope you are encouraged and challenged this week on two levels. One, just the normal speech of your life. The words that you are going to speak to other people. Will they be life or will they be death? But realize just beyond some bad words you might use or some mean words you might use or some positive, encouraging, uplifting words you might use, there is a greater picture of life and death than saying nice things or mean things. For in the hearts of every man, woman, and child is eternity. And will we go and will we we be faithful with our words, with our speech, with our lips, with our mouth to proclaim the goodness and the glorious of Jesus no matter the cost to ourselves? Knowing that there is a world who desperately needs the saving power of Jesus in their lives. It is on these two fronts we encourage you and send you out into the world from this place today to be the beautiful feet who bring good news to a lost and dying world. Because that's why we exist. We exist to proclaim the good news out there, to gather for encouragement here, and for praise and honor and glory to His great name. Band, I'll go ahead and invite you back up. As we get ready to take communion, I just want to encourage you to examine your own hearts this morning. And if you can remember that simple, um, if this helps you remember it a little bit easier than the catechism question, the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Just take a moment while they play instrumentally on the keyboard for a few minutes, for a minute or two. And what sin might you need to confess of the words you've used or of the gospel you haven't proclaimed? Where might you ask God for help in your normal patterns of speech, but also in being bold and courageous enough to proclaim the gospel to someone who you know needs it? Mm-hmm.